Kingdom. This is Judley Wheels Rothstein, straight from the Tar Heel state of North Carolina, coming at you live for our third episode of Hold the Fort. I am joined by my partner in crime, a mass softball stud whose left-handed power stroke made the short porch in right field look like Yankee Stadium. It's Stuart Stew Dog Vitter. Doggy, doggy, doggy. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Doggy, doggy, doggy. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Doggy. Ozzy. Doggy. Ozzy. Doggy, doggy, doggy. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Oh, how you doing down in Louisiana, Stu Dog? Tell me that the Saints made some good moves in the draft last night. Can you not have enough defensive ends? Because that's what we did at number 28. Our two-week spring with 70s and 50s is over. We are now at 86 degrees. It's hot and humid already, and we haven't even hit May 1st. Man, you guys are going to be sweating rounds two through seven. Hopefully you get some more guys who don't have to give Heisman trophies back uh, when they start playing for you. <laughs> so, Judd, Judd, what are the chances? Guess number three. Number one, gets Oogie the Bongo right. <laughs> and two, that I may know them. Well, I'm hoping it is two out of two, Stu Dog, especially the Oogie the Bonga part. I am just feeling I, Iggy the Piggy Wiggy has retained representation from any one of the scores of ex-campers who have joined the legal profession, and Iggy the Piggy Wiggy is dying for some love tonight, so I hope it happens. So, Stu Dog, our next guest tonight on Hold the Fort needs no introduction. He was born with a cigar in his mouth and a fishing rod in his hand. He arrived on the shores of Lake Winnipesaukee in 1967 and built a campfire that burned continuously for 48 summers. His fish fries are famous and his chants of 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock still ring in the Wanaki Mess Hall. He started a legendary food fight in 2010 and we are still scraping cold cuts, tuna fish, and pudding off the rafters. He was the head of the waterfront for longer than most of us have been alive, and if you tried running on his dock, you wouldn't be alive much longer. Good luck ever trying to touch the dock with one hand in a color war breaststroke race. If you did, you would look up, and a hulking figure blocking out the sun would be looking down at you yelling, God damn boy, your ass is DQ'd. If you were a counselor, you knew you had to bow your ass up and get the job done. He is the only man who lit a cigar, jumped off the barge with a banner-winning swim team, was fully submerged underwater, and came up with his cigar still smoking. He's a mass softball pitching legend, a Kona golf professional, and a campfire storyteller. He is husband to Marcia, father to Gavin and Stu, enemy of thousands of New Hampshire bass, and friend to us all, the one and only, the great Arthur Charles A.C. Vitter. Big Ace, how you doing? Can you give us an Oogie the Bonga with three Wanakis at the end? I'm doing great. 
Doing great. Oogie the bonga. Iggy the piggy wiggy. Ippo the zippo wuffo. Ooh-wah. Ooh-wah. Wanake. 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 Yes. All right, Big Ace. You did You did it. You've, you've redeemed Iggy the piggy wiggy. You nailed Oogie the bonga. Tell us a little bit about how you and Marcia have been doing and what you have been doing since we last saw you at the amazing Wanake 100 in August of 2019. Well, after the reunion was over, it came back, and I'm still fishing a little bit. I'm still playing golf a little bit. Uh, I've got a little garden on with a raised bed and some earth boxes growing tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers, and that's working in the yard. I got Stu Dog to cut the grass, so everything's good down here in Homa. I love it. Well, that's great, Ace. So, you know, in thinking about, you know, 48 summers total, you know, in 1967, what, what was the origin story? Like, how did you find out about camp down here in South Louisiana? What, how did you find out that you were heading up there that first summer in 1967? Well, I was, uh, happened to be, which, well, you know, Wenaki's everything with me is the right place at the right time. A senior in college, sitting in a recreation course in the spring. And towards the end of that semester, an uh, ex-student got up and said, if anybody's interested in working at a boys' camp, stay after class and I'll talk to you. So some of us did. And he said, I'm working at a, a boys' camp in the state of New Hampshire on a beautiful Lake Winnipesaukee. Well, to me, that that's like going to another foreign country. I never, you know. <laughs> the only time I've been out of Louisiana at that time was on the basketball trips we went to play other teams. So that's how it got started. Uh, he told us that Doc Sobel was going to fly down. He let us know when he got there. And sure enough, the night before, he told us he was coming. The next day, he picked us up. We went to Punchatoula, met Doc. He took us out to eat at Menendorf, which is my favorite place to eat for fried catfish. Came back to Punchatoula. And went into uh, Stevie Smith's house, and he interviewed everybody that was there. And when it got right before my time to be interviewed, he said, here's a book of the mainland. Here's a book of the island. Look at these pictures. And so that's what I did. And when it got my turn, he asked me what I thought. And I said, you know, I mean, I had no idea about boys camps back at that, you know, in that day and age. So he said, would you be interested in coming? He said, I saw you play college basketball. I said, yes, I would. So here's how he hired me. He said, can you keep a short haircut for eight weeks? I said, yes, sir. He said, can you get these boys out of bed to get ready to go to lineup for breakfast? I said, yes, sir. He said, can you manage your table where you sit? I said, yes, sir. So he said, well, you got a job. And that's how it started right there. Wow. I love it. And what about... That first summer, um, what are your recollections from that first summer at camp in 1967? Well, first of all, we drove up there, me and his name was Tom Dewey. He got, he had the same name as the governor of New York, so of course his nickname was the governor. We drove a F-150 pickup truck, stick shift, from Hammond, Louisiana, all the way up to New Hampshire that first summer. And of course the interstates weren't, at all down south until we got to Mobile. And then you got on the interstate. And then, of course, every major city you went through, Alabama, 
And up until you got to Atlanta, you got off through the city. So it was a heck of an experience getting up there. And so I got there. We got there at supper one night. I met my bunk mate, John Two. I met my other co-counselor in bunk uh, H, Ed Beldy. We went over to the island and then waited for the kids to come. And to be honest, probably within the first three or four weeks of camp, I mean, I was enjoying camp, but me and the kids just, we weren't getting along at night. So an incident that happened was it was, there was a camper sitting in his bunk and he had a bag of malt, chocolate malt balls. I mean, it, must have, it was huge and he was eating them. So I said, hey, how about a chocolate malt ball? Well, he reached in that bag and pulled out one and gave it to me. So I got up from the bed. I took that bag of chocolate malt balls. I threw them on the floor. I stepped on them. I smashed them. Then I picked them up and put them back in the bag and gave it back to him. So I said, oh, Lord. After I did it, I said, uh-oh. Well, nothing happened. And about three weeks later, we sit, I was on duties. We were sitting in there, bunk, getting ready to go to bed. He pulled out another bag. He opened it up and he said, "They see, would you like a chocolate malt ball? I said, yeah, I sure would. So he got up and he just pointed the bag to me. So I took one out. And then he went to every camper in the bunk and offered them. And everybody took one. And then when he got to the last one, we all started yelling and jumping. And from that point on, me and those kids got together. And, hey, rest is history. 48 years later, here we go. Wow. That's an awesome story. So that helps you know, shed a little light on how Winocchi ended up, you know, a huge part of your life and how you ended up coming back summer after summer. You know, what about just the decision to have one summer turn into five, turn into 10, then obviously turn into 48? How did you know that Winocchi or when did you know Winocchi was going to play such a significant role in your life? Well, uh, you know, after that first summer, I don't know. It was just, uh, I, I enjoyed, you know, like I said, once me and the campers got along fine, that because that, it was a great bunch of kids I had that first year in that bunk with John too, and my co the other counselor Ed Bell, they, they kind of took me under their their wing. So when I went back, you know, uh, at the end of the summer when we went came back to Homa, man, I just, you know, the longer I was here at Homa, the more I couldn't wait to get back to to see everybody that was there. And so up until 1971, well, I got engaged, got married, and was telling Marcy about Cam Minocchi, Cam Minocchi. And so Doc Sobel was still, he was still hiring. So we went up to uh, Hammond. I brought Marcy with me. He met, he met Marcy. And he said, well, I don't know if I'm going to have a place for you and Marcy. He said, i got a place for you, but I don't know about Marcy. I said, well, if that's it, then my my time at Winocchi is over. Mm -hmm. So he started laughing. He said, nope. And luckily, she fell in love with Winocchi just as much as I did. And as a matter of fact, the same thing with Stuart and and Gavin. You know, this Vitter family has been in love with Winocchi ever since 1967 up to 2021. Mm. It's true. And I know, you know, Stu Dog, I know you can talk about it as well. And, it, you know, it didn't hit me. I mean, I, my own personal experience, I came in with a 
a bunk in 1997 and then 1998, and then you feel committed to that bunk to see them through. And I know a lot of counselors have that same story where they always say, hey, I was coming for one summer. I got linked in with a group and I just had to see them finish up at Winocchio their senior year. And, you know, dog, I'm thinking about your guys from 99. And, you know, I, I had that experience as well. And hearing AC talk about it really kind of brings that home to me. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, in 1971, when, when mom got there and then, you know, they just kept coming back. And the, let's face it, the key is when she fell in love with it, mm. when when she had no problems going up, of course, both were school teachers, uh, you know, and, and doing the laundry for all of us all those years, uh, campers, counselors, um, that was the key. And so my brother and I got to experience something that, you know, we really couldn't uh, explain to our buddies back here, you know, what was going on up there at camp. Um, but when it's all said and done, the, the key to all of this in the, in the Vitter family there from 67 to 2014 up until this day really and truly is Marcia Vitter because when once she fell in love with it, well, then it was, quote, unquote, you know, it's on. Let, let's, let's write this out. That's so true. So talking about, you know, camp in the late 60s. And, and all the way to 2014. But let's get back to the 60s. What comes to mind during that time frame, you know, and, and I guess through the decades, can you talk a little bit what camp was like through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s? Well, when I, start, I started in camp, it was run by Doc Sobel, and it was it was strictly an instructional camp. I mean, that's what, there was no group big trips, the only – campers and went on a trip for seniors and that trip was to Quebec city five for five days. And they had three, three, three day sailing trips, three, three day golf trips, which were open to seniors. And the rest of the time you went to instruction. And the thing about it was when you went to your activity, you had to be dressed for that activity. So if you went to tennis, you had to have on white tennis shoes, white socks, white tennis shorts, white collared tennis shirt shirt and you went to football with the blue jeans and you put ball cleats or a blue above shirt baseball same thing softball same thing uh swimming you came down with your flip-flops and your robe and your towel so everything was strictly you dressed for the occasion and as a matter of fact when you went to socials doc you had to pass through doc and you had to have on a shoes Socks, dress pants, slacks, a college shirt tucked in your pants, or you weren't going to a social. That's camper and counselor. So after his reign there, John and Bart took over, which, of course, they had their philosophy. Uh, we still had instruction. Uh, more trips were occurring, and that went on. And then... Of course, camp group took over till I left, and it was almost about the same as when Bart and John run it. But, and it was still instruction going on, but it wasn't, and you know, as much instruction going on because it was, you know, there was a lot of more trips, uh, starting from about 1980 on. Wow. So you know, I want to get back to this Oogie debug. I forgot. Uh, <laughs> I think the ex camper that wrote that was Bob Wallman. Hmm. And he wrote that for, I think he was supposed to, you did that for kids who had birthdays. So 
his nickname on the island when he was the athletic director was Moses. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, nicknames are famous at Wanaki. <laughs> yeah. I never knew anybody's name. All I knew was their nickname. <laughs> he could part the waters of the crib? <laughs> <laughs> he could part them. <laughs> That's funny. Now, those, right. those are great, great reminiscing. And I, I can't help but just picture, I mean, for all the listeners right now, tell me you're not picturing A.C. Vitter wearing white tennis shoes, white socks, white shorts, and a white collared shirt on the tennis court. I, I mean, that image right there is enough to sustain me well, for the next well, couple of weeks. <laughs> I can tell you, I didn't play tennis. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I looked at a basketball court and the waterfront. So right now, uh, AC, we have our segment. This is our Stump the Guest segment. Stu and I are going to give you five questions. Judd, tonight uh, you got all the trivia questions. Oh, okay. Here we go. So we know that we have the mark to beat is three and a half from Bart Sobel and Mario Watson. Let's see if AC Vitter can trump those two. Here we go, Ace. First question. What year did they build the lodge? Nineteen ninety. He is one for one, ladies and gentlemen. All right, here we go. Question number two: What sport did Doc Sobel play in the Olympics? Water polo. Ding ding! Two for two, big ace. Here we go. All right, can you name one road? that is a side street on Moultonboro Neck Road. So one road that goes off of Neck Road. Long Island. Long Island Beach, Dog, do we accept it? Long Island Road. Well, all right, so when you get on to Wenaki Road, Long Island continues to Moultonboro Neck, that's your call. You take the left from Wenaki Road, continue on Moultonboro Neck to Long Island. All right, we're going to give them a half point on that one. We would have accepted Shaker Jerry, Kona Farms, Ferry, or even the one I thought you were going to think of, Stuart Circle. (laughs) All right, you're at two and a half. Here we go. Next question. How many campers did you DQ in the breaststroke? No, I'm only kidding. All right. What what was the home state of the great Joe Marino? New Jersey. All right, three and a half. This one is going to put you into the lead. Can you name the official names of the three songs that are required for a Wanaki song fest? The fight song, alma mater, and novelty. Ladies and gentlemen, four and a half points, AC Vitter setting the bar high. All right, so that was a quite an accomplishment. Let's talk about accomplishments for a second, Ace. Can you talk to us about any standout memories about a team you coached or an athletic competition that you watched over the years? Uh, well, you know what? That's every summer had its you know its special uh, activities there that you. I never did coach a team, but I went and watched a lot. You know, when I had a chance, I went. Of course, I went and watched Stuart and Gavin when they were on the mainland at the swim meets. I helped run the uh, Lakes Region Swim Meet with Mike Whitley. Uh, I really enjoyed. My favorite thing to do was to be an official during Color War. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be on that first base for man softball, softball, referee basketball. That was, that's what I like to do. I wanted to make those close calls and have half the camp yelling and half the camp cussing you out. That's what I like. Mm. 
That's some, that's some of my favorite members. And of course, you know, the fishing, fishing with Stu, fishing with Gavin, and fishing with the campers and the counselors. That was, that was great. And the fires of night, hey, you know, just sitting back there relaxing and shooting the bull. Yeah, there's not, not much better Speaking than that. of those things, and, and I'm curious if he's going to tell me uh, or tell us all tonight uh, something that he's told me. And I don't think it was his first summer, but it was on the early the early side of his career there at Wenaki about a color war event where a certain color war leader did something to, uh, well, I'll let him see. Uh, let's see if he says it. So what is your favorite color war memory? Well, let's see. The one of the favorite memory was my co-counselor was a leader at round the base relays. It was very close. And his camper ran around the base relays backwards. He went to third, the second, the first. So when he got to home plate, they had to turn around. He had to run back to first, the second, and third. And, of course, they lost the race. Ended up losing color war on the way back to the bunk. He took his fist and punched it through. Well, at that time, the basketball was uh, plywood, backboards. He punched his fist through the, <laughs> through the backboard. So that's one of them. So that's that stands out and just um, it's you know it's uh, like Ed Belding. I remember one year Ed Belding built a gold mine and he built this shaft and I helped him paint. I think it was sixty rocks gold, sixty rocks blue. We had to write the kids' names on them and then the night it broke out, you had to have your flashlight and then. Everybody was running all over campus, and at the end, you always you met at the gold mine, which was built by the tennis courts, and you drew a number. So if you drew the number one, you took your flashlight, and you went down this shaft, and you had to look to 120 rocks to find your name. <laughs> and if, if it was on the blue rock, he was on the blue team. If he was on the yellow buff rock, he was on the buff team. So he, he did a good – Charlie Harris also did uh, great – Color war break, color war breakouts were fun. Mm. I enjoyed them. Yeah, no, it's the truth, and you know, I'll tell you. And you know what? You too. You had great breakouts. It always amazed me how you know I considered the counselors grown men, and it always amazed me how grown men were going around and acting like we were about ten or twelve years old. <laughs> no. no, I know. I mean, yeah, just count countless summers of great memories, and you know, all the times that you would be out at the campfire hanging out. And, you know, I wouldn't want ever, anyone ever to mistake that for either indifference or not loving to hear the stories because I remember just coming back from whatever, you know, clues we gave or whatever action was happening and you'd just be waiting to find out what happened and you'd want to hear a recap of the story and then you could talk about it the next day. And, you know, it was, yep. it was that aspect also of, of your personality that, 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 you know, I really appreciate and, and the counselors all got to know you and realized how much you cared about the happenings, the, the, the minutiae, the, the little details, the, the, the aspects that make the summer unique and special. And it, it brings back also a memory for me of an athletic competition. And I'd mentioned this before when you came into the city and I was talking about some of my memories of you, but the 99 seniors still to this day talk about you coming up to the upper fields to watch them in the finals in a Lakes Region uh, soccer tournament. 
and it was a rainy day and you were up there in your slicker and you had Straff scoring a goal and Kermadi scoring a goal. This team had John Freeman and Belsky, Kessler, yep. Jeff Williams, Alex Wolin, Mike Dennis, Moof Loberbaum, Mike Carter. And you were up there cheering on the team. And these kids wanted to win that game just because they were watching you up there cheer for them. And things like that are just so special. Yep. Yeah, they sure. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it could only, hey, it can only happen at Monarchy, especially on the island. You know, special place. Mm-hmm. So our next segment, Stu and Ace, is going to be our rapid-fire questions. We're going to ask you a series of quick, fun questions, and we'll see what your response is. AC has not had any look at these questions, even though he's... He has not had any look, no matter how menacing he's looked at me the last few days about these rapid-fires. Okay. So, Stu Dog, you want to start off? Uh, Here we go. Dad. What is your best attempt at speaking Hebrew? <laughs> Shema. <laughs> <laughs> Shema. All right, all right. That's your bar mitzvah. I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you your gelt in the mail, AC. All right, um, AC. I got one of those little beanies at my house. There you go. I could use that to cover my bald spot. I don't know about you. <laughs> All right, next rapid-fire question. What was your favorite meal at Camp Winocchi? Steak and fries. Ooh. Every every Monday and Thursday. Okay. What was your favorite boat over 48 summers to drive at Winocchi? The Boston Whaler. Mm. Favorite boat of all. What was it's it? still there, I think. What, what was it about that? Well... It was just, uh, I had been trying to talk to, to John and, and Bart about buying a Boston Whaler because of their durability. And Doc's philosophy was he was only there for eight weeks, so he just he just always would buy a secondhand boat. Then the next summer, you'd have another boat. So they finally bought that boat, and all the wear and tear and going back and forth between the mainland island, it was a great boat. Hmm. So that was my favorite boat. And we used to ski behind that boat. No, that's awesome. All right, here we go. Uh, Ace, what was your favorite candy at Joe Marino's candy sale? Nickels. <laughs> that, that, that's easy. <laughs> that's what Stu said you were going to say. Not only that, you know, how many times, you know, uh, Joe would come wake me up for a Sunday church. And, you know, we'd go and mom and I would come back and Joe would say, Stu, write your mom a letter. I said, Joe, I just saw it. You want candy? Yes, sir. Write your mom a letter. <laughs> Okay, and finally, for our fifth question, which is becoming, you know, a tradition here on the rapid fire, what is your favorite color, buff or blue? My favorite color is blue. Ah, oh, there we go. That's my man. I think that's the first one who's been a little definitive about it. All right, there we go. We've got bl- one for blue, one for pink, and one for black. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, and we know who said those. All right, so Ace. Can you tell us about your best fishing story over the years at Camp Winocchi? Ooh, man. Well, well, of course, in, man, that is going to be tough. Uh, uh, of course, number one, it's always enjoyed fishing with Gavin and Stuart, taking them out. And then it also enjoyed taking campers and counselors out. And some of the best times are when... Uh, you get that camper or you get that counselor 
and it's just you and him. There's sometimes it would just be me and a camper, or me and a counselor. And you sit there while you're fishing and you just, you know, you start batting that fat and you find out a lot about, you know, that person. And it's, and hey, at the same time, you're catching fish. But I guess teaching those kids how to hold that rod correctly, how to throw what it means when the cart goes underwater, how to hook the fish, enjoy fighting the fish, taking the, bringing the fish into the boat, taking it off the hook putting it on the stringer, putting the bait on, holding that fish. I mean, it's amazing how most of those kids hmm. had no idea about that and how much they loved it. So uh, just, you know, and like I, it, when Jeff Sobel was there, I took that boy fishing every day. Every day he went fishing with me. And then, so they just – and. Just fine members of taking people out fishing. Yeah, yeah, they they definitely knew their way around some smoked salmon and some smoked fish, but probably not the uh, <laughs> the bass they were pulling out. Was there a better fisherman than Jay Oxman? Oh. that's the one I looked up. <laughs> I mean, who, who did you hook? Was it Jay? I don't think it was Jay. No. No, he, he hooked somebody. Actually, Chuck, can you tell us that story? I just remember. You yeah, know that story, Jay. No, but I, d I definitely remember somebody getting a, the, the, a fish hook and having to go. Did they have to get it yeah, go to the hospital? Yeah, got a fish hook. I hooked him. I was standing on the dock fishing. <laughs> and, well, he, I can't even remember his name, but he got behind me, and I thought I hooked, hooked something, and I jerked it. And then he didn't even say ouch or anything. I looked behind me, and there he was with my bait stuck in the top of his head. So I had to cut the string off. We, we took him to Tammy. Tammy brought him to the hospital. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was final banquet night. Mm. And they came back in, and uh, Tammy told me that he would not let the doctor, you know, they, they pushed that barb through yeah. the top of your skin, and then they cut that barb and they pull it out. Well, he wouldn't let the doctor do that. He made him, <laughs> he made him cut it out. Because he told that doctor, said, there's no way you can cut that. AC bit is going to kill me right <laughs> if he loses the barb on that hook. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's amazing. Okay, so go. Okay, so for all these years, right at, at final banquet, yeah, at one of the anticipating besides the main awards, kind of a thing that everybody looked forward to was a rubber duck award. How did that get going? And are there any great stories about campers and swimming through the years, like about the rubber duck? Well, the the rubber duck, I I just. There were campers who just were not athletes and had a hard time. And so I decided, you know, they, they never were considered for awards or something. So I thought to myself, you know, what can I do at the waterfront to give somebody that is not going to, this doesn't fit in sometimes. And so I decided on a rubber duck to give to the worst swimmer, whether it was a counselor or whether it was a camper. And so, that's how it got started, and Lord have mercy, just mushroomed from there until at the end, and that there were campers who pretended they hated <laughs> swimming so they could w win the rubber duck. And I, you know, you never imagine. 
a little old simple thing like that, you know, how much it meant to those campers or even to some, you know, like Mario Watson. He's got that thing sitting up on his mantle. <laughs> I saw it when I went to visit him. And then the other day, now Morgan Epstein, I got to say, he's got the biggest rubber duck because we couldn't find a small one. You know, he, there he is. He's got, he still has that rubber duck next to that, you know, that painting that Neil Hockey did. So that's just... That was one thing, you know, you know, Judd, in all my years there, I just went there to do a job, you know, do the best I could, do the rules, you broke the rules, you know, I'm, I was going to get on your ass, no doubt about it, no matter who you were, and that's one, you know, and I was proud of that, and then it didn't make any difference who you were, you were going to get chewed out, so, like, you know, it's just unbelievable. Mm. No, yeah, it was, I mean, just... Those those unique memories, those Wenaki centric events, where it was something that only, like you mentioned, it just only existed in the Wenaki experience for those kids, and it was something that they could never go back and share with anyone else, and it just existed in that time and space because it was unique and special, and something that, like you said, just something silly that you came up with, and then on that, it takes on a life of its own, and that is such yeah. a the epitome of Wenaki. So, Ace, we'll wrap up with this question, just want to know what the Wenaki community has meant to you over all of these years. Well, whew. hold on. Well, you know, it started with Dot and Puff, Joe Marino. You know, that's great people and on the island it was just all my directors I was under Roly Hughes was my first one for one summer then Bill Guy Vic Sanyota George Brew, Mario and Frito you know they all just played a part in my life you know they all ran the camp their way uh, Bill Guy we're still friends uh, I stay in touch with Hope and, and Walker for George and Liz. Uh, I still talk to Frito. I talk to Mario. He he calls me. He, he's like my alert system. He calls me once a month to see what's going on. So uh, my first bunkmate, John, too, uh, ended up being best man in his wedding. Another friend of mine, Gary Wheeler, worked on the waterfront, ended up going to Montreal, uh, Montreal being the best man in his wedding. Uh all those counselors that worked on the waterfront for me, you know, how deeply appreciative I, for all their time and effort to, you know, to put forth and do the job that they were hired to do. Uh, the cooks, you know, the staff on the island, Jake and Marvin, the first two cooks, Sam and Gary, you know, and then back in those days, they, they, it didn't come in no package. When they had <laughs> fried chicken, after breakfast, they had to get that meat cleaver and cut that chicken up into the parts and fry. I mean, it was, they worked. They were the hardest workers. So all of those people combined, man, just, uh, and people in the community, I was there so long, Bob Hamlin, uh, Lenny, his son, Rich, you know, the maintenance crew, uh, Al Samos, you know, who, <laughs> Lord, we ended up being the best of friends. Uh, and you know something else? I was we were there for so long. 
uh, it started with Bill and then the Rose guy's children. You know, we we helped. I mean, we me and Marcy, we babysit little Bill and Julie. I took Bill fishing. He came back to be a counselor. Uh, Al Samos, Maria, and Alex uh, sat them on our lap. They'd come to our bunk. We babysit for them. Three those three. So Chloe and Bo, you know, we babysat it for them. They were babies. So there were uh, a lot of kids that came through. They, we just helped raise. So it's just, as everybody said, we're a band of brothers. Hmm. And it's great, Ace. And, you know, Andy Payne and I always used to remark on visiting day, you know, we would just sort of be taking in the the entire scene and you would see the fathers and uncles coming back and their first stop was to try to find you and, you know, maybe pass along a cigar for you to enjoy, but more just to reconnect and to, to reminisce and to talk about the good old days. And you really had just such a profound impact. 48 years is beyond a lifetime at Wenaki. And you think about the generation of Wenaki campers and counselors with whom you interacted and, and shaped the lives of and told stories and just enjoyed good times. So uh, on behalf of all of them, uh, uh, just a huge Wenaki thanks. And I'll let Stu have a final piece before we sign off here. Well, I've said many times before, you know, it's, uh, very, very few people hit the Powerball. And I'll never win it because I hit my own Powerball, right? To have your dad go up in 1967, meet, marry someone who in 1971 decided this is for me too. So for Gavin and I to be that fortunate here in Homa, Louisiana, 50 miles southwest of New Orleans, to spend uh, our childhood up there in you know, Center Harvard, Marlboro, New Hampshire, um, with people from New York, Philly, Jersey, Long Island. Uh, we can never, ever thank them enough and what it's made us uh, into the people that we are. Well, thanks, Ace. Loved having you on. Wish you and Marcia the absolute best, you know, for the rounds two through seven for the draft for your Saints tonight uh, and then for another fun summer. Hopefully you got the AC kicking for AC so you don't have to schwitz too much. That could have been a good Yiddish word for you when you had to speak some Hebrew earlier tonight. Yeah, I, I was waiting for the Baruchator. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll let I'll let him help out with the with our okay, final yeah. little sin. <laughs> All right. So to sign us off tonight, So hold the fort, for we are coming, loyal sons of Winaki. Side by side, we battle onward, on to victory. In the words of former Winaki camp doctor, Dr. Dre. Until the next episode, IP, MP, C-dubs.